Thank you so much, Judy. Keep your Bibles open there at Numbers 11. We're going to look at that together. And just a reminder, it, makes, it does make such a difference when we're looking through a passage to have a Bible. So if you're able to bring one, to grab one, to have a Bible up on your phone, it really does make a difference in our understanding. Don't just take it from the person speaking. Have a look at what God's Word says. Looking forward to digging into this passage together. I hope you've got your Bible with you at home. I just want to welcome you if you're joining us on the live stream. There's a good number of you today. So well. Welcome to you as well and looking forward to you joining in with this message and this service. If you were here last Sunday, you'll know that we had a visiting speaker. Um, Peter Morden was here. He uh, is the principal of Bristol Baptist College and it was great to have him sharing with us. And next week, we begin a new series looking at an overview of the Old Testament, including the Bible reading plan that Joe spoke about. So again, just a reminder to grab one of those and join with us on Wednesday 40 days of readings throughout Lent. The idea being to give you a, a kind of big picture of the Old Testament. And on Sundays, we'll pick out one of those passages from each week to speak on. So that's coming up uh, next week and beyond for Lent. And today, we've just got a pause before that starts. And we deliberately schedule gaps into our teaching schedule just to enable us to pray and to ask God if there's anything specific that he would like us to say at any given time for the church family, any one-off messages that we feel prompted about. And when I was praying the week before last, I was asking the Lord just to give me the right sense for what to share today. And I felt that he dropped this scripture in Numbers 11 into my mind and a word. And that word was transitions, about seasons of transition. So I've been chewing over that and I want to look at this passage today in the light of that word, which might resonate directly with you today. Uh, with your personal experience right now in a season of transition. And if not, my hope and prayer is that this will help us all uh, and will help us to stand in good stead for when inevitable seasons of transition come. So I've called this message today, Trusting God in Times of Transition. And the reading in Numbers 11 traces a particular episode in the story of the people of Israel. It gives us an insight into what was going on in the hearts and minds of the people and Moses, their leader, in a transitional space. The people of Israel spend a long period in the desert. They leave the captivity of Egypt, but this in-between transition lasts many years before getting to their destination, the promised land. And that transition place isn't easy. It's full of struggle, full of complaining, full of short fuses, and a lack of vision and direction. I don't know how you feel about... Um, flying and if you fly very much we're not huge flyers so when we do go on a plane we find the whole journey an exciting part of the whole adventure of a holiday um, but I never can understand people who are able to sleep on planes these people are in another species to me however tired I am I just can't sleep it doesn't matter whether it's a day flight or a night flight whether it's short haul or long haul I just can't do the sleeping on a plane thing in fact I can't do the sleeping anywhere else other than my own bed thing I've got a special area of my heart that's consumed with jealousy for people who can nod off anywhere. Is anybody else with me on this? You know, I can, yes. I have to be in my own bed and not, not, not even a nice hotel. I don't sleep well. Not only my own bed, but a particular position in my own bed. 
that's how hard I find it to sleep. Anyway, I digress. When I'm on a plane, that means I never sleep, even if it's a really long journey. And instead, I either watch films if they're available, but I also get fixated with the little flight tracker, you know, that tracks your plane about where you are going. It's such an odd feeling to watch this little plane, knowing that you are suspended in this tin can up in the air. And it's such an odd feeling knowing that there's no particular place where you are. You're not in one place or another place. You've left Gatwick, but it's hours away until you reach your destination. It's an odd feeling. You are sort of nowhere. My son, Zach, went to Tanzania with Bishop Luffer School last summer. Um, some more young people are going this year. And it was an epic journey. It had three flights, all lasting 24 hours. And you can track the flights. I don't know if this is a good idea for parental anxiety, but anyway, you can track the flights. And I could see that his plane had left one country. And I could see him just over an ocean, you know, left one destination and not yet arrived for a long time to another. And we have real seasons of life like this, where we've left one place and we are yet to arrive in another. And this is at the heart of today's message. What do we do? And what happens in the place where we're not where we were, but we're yet where we want to be? Let's remind ourselves of God's promise. God has recruited Moses to lead the people out of slavery from Egypt. And this is Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God had promised to rescue them, and he did. He saved them from the hands of the Egyptians. They escape Pharaoh's power and they flee. And the promise is to bring them to Canaan, the promised land. But they don't get there quickly. God's promise was still true. God's promise would be fulfilled. But there was a desert meandering in between. And things started getting tricky in the transition. In Numbers 11, the people start complaining. Uh, they complain about the food first, which just makes me smile because that would be me as well. It made me laugh as Judy was reading, actually, because it talked about the complaining about the, the food and the ground-up coriander seed. Calvin, that's one of your pet hate foods, isn't it, coriander? I'd, I'd have been yeah, Calvin would have been moaning. Never invite him round with coriander on your menu. They start complaining. Verse 4, have a look. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The rabble, that's great, isn't it? The rabble start complaining. So the people complain, and actually Moses starts complaining as well. Have a look at verse 10. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? This is a proper transitional place. Egypt was long gone. And yet the people kind of heart back to it, even though they didn't want, really want to be there. God had set them free. We remember the cucumbers. We remember what we had then. 
They're not where they were, but they are very unhappy at this in-between place they find themselves in. And Moses too, he basically says, do you know what? I didn't sign up for this. This, this burden is too hard for me. I can't bear it, he says. And as we look at the Israelites and their journeying, we, what we find is that God is there. He is there in that in-between place and he is at work. Certain things happen in that transitional space that don't happen elsewhere. One author, he's called Jeff Mannion, he calls these transition times that we all go through necessary middle spaces. God has work that he wants to do in his people in times of transition. A lot happens in this space for the Israelites. It's where they will receive the Ten Commandments. It's where their portable worship tent, the tabernacle, will be built. It's where they wrestle with God a lot and where they learn about who they are. The desert is not their final destination, but it is a necessary transitional space where God will form them as his people and prove his faithfulness. There will be many transition times that we are facing, no doubt, here today. Perhaps you are hugely dissatisfied at work and you want to leave, but you need the next right thing to open up. Maybe your house is on the market and you're desperate to move, but you are waiting for a buyer. Maybe a relationship has broken down and your world suddenly looks very different. Maybe you have retired and your days have left shape to them without paid work to go to. And you're still figuring out what it means to contribute and be fulfilled. And that's not an easy place. Maybe a loved one has died and you know a new season is ahead, but it is very hard to accept this place you're in. One of your kids is having all sorts of struggles and issues and being really testing to parents. This isn't how you wanted it to be. You are facing medical tests and are waiting for results. The health you took for granted now isn't so certain. God is the God who can be trusted in times of transition. And our story has some things to say to us about the way that we respond, what we do in those transition times. If God is trustworthy, as we've been singing, if he is good, if he has work to do, what do we do in these transition times? And the first thing that stands out really clearly is what I've called the erosion of complaint. That complaining, you know, that kind of eats away at us, eats away at our sense of, of um, goodwill and our joy, and it erodes our faith and our trust. Now, we're all guilty of a good moan, but the Israelites are experts, and here they complain, and they conveniently forget the hardships and the slavery that they faced before. They forget the power of God shown to them at the parting of the Red Sea and the provision of water in the desert. The people are tired of being in the wilderness place, and they give in to complaint. 
And we've seen already that Moses struggles as well. He erupts into this kind of exhausted rant to God, saying that this assignment that God has given him, you know, it's too much for him to bear. He'd actually rather die. He's so discouraged and exhausted. If you look at verse 14, slightly further on in the passage that we've had read, he says, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me right now if I have found favor in your eyes. And do not let me face my own ruin. Such is the level of Moses' discouragement. Have a look at this picture. It's a famous optical illusion. Now, there are two animals you can see. Don't say what they are. I want you to just identify in your mind which animal you saw first. You might be able to see both in quick succession, but which animal you might be able to see first. Now, you should either be able to see a duck or a rabbit. Who saw the duck first? Oh, gosh, loads of people saw the duck first. Who saw the rabbit first? Actually, quite a, quite a lot of the rabbit as well. And um, who forgot their glasses and can't see a thing? <laughs> Did anybody see them both in kind of quick succession? Apparently, if you can see them both quickly, I read that it makes you more creative, so you can be smug about that, if that's you. Now, this is a really well-known ancient illustration, actually, many, many years old, and it's to do with perception. It's to do with how our brain works and the way that our individual brains are wired to perceive things. And it's the same picture, but on first sight, different people we'll see it differently. Two people in the same situation will see that situation differently and will approach it differently. Now, the people in our story, they complain about God. Moses brings his complaint in prayer to God. And both are in the same in-between place. Do you know it is okay to feel miserable about the place that we're in? Desert places are hard. Let's not be all kind of pretendy. It's all wonderful when it isn't. That's not, that's not real. The challenge is to bring that to God, to bring that hardship, that complaint, that difficulty to him so that it doesn't become the kind of bitter complaining that spirals. Let's not let complaining erode our faith. And the second thing is to do with God's provision and looking for it, looking for it, identifying it, articulating it, remembering it. At the end of our passage in verse 16, God calls Moses and the leaders to the tabernacle, uh, to the place of his presence, and, and he draws near to them. Verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. What does God provide? He provides people and he provides his presence. He provides resources, people. He says, Moses says, I can't carry this by myself. This is too heavy a burden. He brings that in prayer to God. And God provides people to share the burden. He spreads the burden. What a thought that our God spreads the burden. And we heard it read in that reading earlier. You know, sometimes God doesn't take things away from us. 
but he spreads the burden, giving resources, often through people, and draws near with his presence. God brings his provision. And we have to look for it and identify it and put words around it to help us remember In these necessary middle spaces, we can look to God who wants to draw near. He always wants to come and speak with us and bring his presence. And he gives us each other for support and help. I think the temptation can be to hop back to the past, the kind of golden days. They're not always that golden. But like the Israelites, we kind of remember them in a kind of golden way. And the temptation is to look back instead of thinking, actually, what is God saying and doing here and now? And there's a sense that these middle spaces give us a chance to press reset. This space does not need to be aimless wandering for us. God wants to shape us and to form us in this place. A chance to reset our priorities, perhaps, in this place we're in. Resetting to the manufacturer's instructions. A hard reset, perhaps, not a soft reset, that says, here I am at this point. What are my priorities here? I'm going to reset, trusting God that he will draw near, that he will use this transition time to shape and to, and to form us, knowing that the future is going to look different. God promises to give us his presence and his resources. And just a final thought that's been weaving all the way through this morning and um, our passage, and it is to do with choosing trust, however hard things might be, and also however out of control our circumstances might feel to us. We do have some control. We might not be able to control what is happening, but we do have some control over the way that we respond, and we are the only ones who can control that. We choose how to respond. We might choose to withdraw emotionally and shut down. We might choose to feed a sense of rage and anger that's in us. We might choose to hide behind all sorts of unhelpful things to numb us, but but we will choose something. And the Israelites choose complaint, and they choose it so much that it becomes like a reflex to them, like a habit. And of course, what God wants us to, to do is to choose trust to choose faith, that he might draw faith and trust from us. And choosing trust is the only truly successful way of making sure that we don't default back to discouragement and complaint and any number of other responses that we might use. Jeff Mannion, who I mentioned, has written about middle spaces, says this. This is such a good quote. It's it's worth listening to. And he says this. The heart drift towards the heart drifts towards complaint, as if by gravitational pull. After all, complaint seems a reasonable response to a sequence of disappointing events. Generally, you don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. It arrives as an uninvited guest. You return home from another frustrating day to discover that complaint has moved into your guest room, unpacked its luggage started a load of laundry, and is rooting through your fridge. Complaint resists eviction. We can discourage complaints residency in our lives by inviting another guest to move in with us. The new guest is trust. When we choose trust in the face of deep disappointment, complaint has less space to manoeuvre. While attempting to unpack for an extended stay, 
it discovers that trust has taken all the drawers in the guest room and already occupies the empty seat at the table. Trust evicts complaint. Trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. There is some eviction, perhaps, that needs to take place. Trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. We invite the guest of trust in to replace all of our default responses, which are so negative. And of course, we learn to trust in the big things, actually by only trusting God in the small things. And this thought serves me really well. If I think too far ahead, especially if the transition place or what's looming is, is big, it's too much, isn't it? It feels too hard to kind of trust the big thing looming, especially in a time of transition. But actually, do you know, all that God asks us to do is to trust him today. That's what daily bread is about, isn't it? When we pray, give us this day our daily bread. When God provided daily manna, that's what he was saying. I will give you what you need today to trust for today. And then when we get up tomorrow, to say, God, I will trust you today again. So whatever transition times we're in, choose trust in the small, everyday things so that trust starts to take up residence in our lives for the big things, leaving no room for any other uninvited guests. So in these in-between spaces in our lives, we can be on the guard for the erosion of complaint and what that does to our hearts. To look, actively look for where God is providing, what resources has he given you, and his promise of his presence. And we can make steps of choosing trust in the small and then into the big. May God help us to do that. I want to finish this morning, uh, deliberately spoke a little bit earlier in the service, to give us some time and space for response. I'm going to invite the band to come back. And first of all, I'm just going to invite us to pray and give us some space and some quiet. So why don't we do that? Let's pray. And I just want to invite you to identify what season or space of your life you are in. So identify any particular transition time, any in-between space where you're not where you were, but you are not yet where you want to be. To identify it and to bring things to the Lord. Let's just have some space.